Okay, please come in if you are outside waiting for the forum. We're going to start right now. Hello, my name is Kak Hyung McNaughton, and I'm a member of this church. Today, our speaker is Liz May Martinu. Is that how you pronounce it? Martinu. Well, I didn't know this, but Liz has been my neighbor for a while. And before I met her, I would, she walk up with my husband, take evening walks, and walk past her garden, and it, oh, it looks so beautiful. It's a pollinator garden. It's both friendly for pollinators as well as for people. And the reason is, there's a little free library outside her front yard on the side. And that was the first time I found out about little free library. And now there must be more than a dozen scattered in Los Alamos, including the one that we have here at our food forest, which is inspired by what I saw in her garden. And she also recently has a little free, what you call it, uh, where you can check out uh, small art objects, painting that you can put on your wall and exchange it for something else so you can always have a fresh painting. Is that still in work? Yes. Anyway, Liz has lived in Los Alamos for about 30 years. So after many years of teaching, she moved into an informal teaching education uh, uh, job, which is that she was a past president, uh, uh, director of our local historical museum. Oh, she retired from that job about a year ago, and now she works as a volunteer throughout the community. She believes in collaborative community programming and has worked with many local organizations she takes care of the Victory Garden uh, by the, what do you call it, uh, the, the, the historical part of this town. <clears throat> and she has worked with the library and Peak to host local plant and seed giveaway events. As a member of the steering committee of the seed library project, Liz has been a valuable asset to us from the very beginning. She developed the whole organizational structure. You know, we developed, we, we got the name, we, we named ourselves within the first week of our meeting because she sent out, you know, uh, emails to say what works for you and a list of choices. So we picked Los Alamos Community Seat Library. It's the word community that's most important in there. And within a, less than three weeks, we get a mission and mission statement and uh, for our organization. I mean, this church with 150 members took several years to come up with a mission statement. I mean, we really get things done fast. And she has given this program to several groups, and she worked with the Boy Scouts and 4-H and Senior Center and helped them with seed saving and teach them how to seed save and package them and get them ready for checking out. So this program is just in time to prepare us all for the grand opening of our seat library at the end of this month. So please welcome Liz. Well, it was, there's a lot of people involved in the Los Alamos Community Seat Library, including Kokyong here. So uh, it's, it's definitely a community endeavor. So welcome to this 
quick presentation. I am going to talk a little bit about the history of the Los Alamos Community Seed Library, a little bit about what a seed library is meant to do, and then talk a little bit about our plans for the future. So in terms of history, we have a very long history of gardening here on the Pajarito Plateau. The ancestral Pueblo people, of course, gardened, and they had the three sisters, which you all know what the three sisters are. Anyone? <laughs> Corn, beans, and squash, right. And they were um, farming those using dry farming techniques. They actually included terraces. There are, as there's evidence of terrace, bordered gardens, and using gravel mulch. So they were serious farmers. And my favorite ancestral fact is that there are over 10,000 ancestral Pueblo sites here on the Pajarito Plateau, 10,000. We have the greatest number of ancestral sites here, right here where we live, of anywhere in the United States. So we are a significant, we have a significant piece of history here with our ancestral Pueblo people. Then of course came the homesteaders. They were here from 1887 to 1942 when of course the government uh, bought out the homesteading properties. And they were selling, they were raising crops to sell. So they included corn, beans, well, we'll go over the list, I guess. Then came the ranch school. Victory Gardens came along during World War II and the Los Alamos Garden Club, one of the first clubs in Los Alamos, was immediately after the war in 1947. So we have a very long history here. Homesteading crops, I almost gave it away. Huh? So what were the homesteading crops? Maybe you named some of these. So, out of that list, what do you think was the number one cash crop? They're actually in order. <laughs> so beans was first. The number one cash crop here was beans. They were selling to Española, and they were also selling in Santa Fe at, at the markets there. Then came corn, and wheat was a, a large cash crop here, too. They were also using dry farming techniques, meaning there was no irrigation of the property. It was all dry farming, which I can't even imagine because my garden doesn't do with dry farming around here. This is a picture of the Los Alamos Ranch School, which overlaps with the homesteading era. So they were both here at a similar time. And you can see Ashley Pond here, Fuller Lodge, and then all that green area. There are a few rectangles on there little tiny green rectangles. Those are not gardens, those were tennis courts. They played tennis here. But a lot of the rest of the green that you see and that kind of brownish green at the very top are all gardens. So they were farming to raise food for the ranch school. And the boys who attended the ranch school helped with the farming. So it was part of their training to be able to raise your own food. Here's another picture of Fuller Lodge. You can see the farming in the front. This building over here 
On the right is the trading post, which is about now where the post office is. So we're looking you know, toward, toward Fuller Lodge from the east. Those fields went all the way out uh, close to the airport. So they were, it were, there were a lot of fields. And they also had um, raised sheep on, in this area. Then, of course, came Victory Gardens. Victory Gardens here, um, when, <clears throat> when the Manhattan Project came in, they wanted Victory Gardens, but the military said there was no water. In fact, they put out an order. No water is to be used on lawns, gardens, or similar purposes in 1943. So that was right when the, the Manhattan Project was starting. And they were so overwhelmed with trying to build new structures and trying to get the infrastructure working up here that they put uh, a stop to all water use for gardening purposes. But later, in 1944, they finally came around to participating in the Victory Garden movement that really had swept the country. And so in 1944 and 1945, on the east side of Fuller Lodge, kind of where the ranch school had their gardens, the, the Manhattan Project had garden plots available. So they were 25 feet by 50 feet for a plot. And you could sign up to register for a garden plot. The Army made the residents carry their own water, at least for the first part. So if you wanted a garden plot, you had to haul water. Um, but it was a success. And all across the country, it was a success. So during World War II, about one in seven Americans planted gardens. And in 1944, 20, there were 20 million gardens in the United States. And that they produced about 30 to 40% of all the fresh fruits and vegetables that were consumed in the United States. So it was a very big movement, very successful movement. Oh, yeah, this is... Um, a bulletin, so they used to put out these bulletins, and this one is from almost right now, March 17th, 1944, but I love the, I don't, I don't think you guys can read it, but it says, two victory gardeners, your plot is ready, let's go. That's, those are your marching orders today, March, yeah. let's go. You may plant the following seeds now. Peas, lettuce, mustard, Swiss chard, onions, turnips, carrots, beets, and radishes. For others, wait 10 days. You must wait till danger of freezing is over before planting beans, squash, tomatoes, etc. Any information regarding your garden, cultural hints, planting dates, etc., see Mr. Gardnier. I don't know, so he'll be glad to help you. Remember, the nights are never hot in New Mexico. So choose early varieties, such as tomatoes, 72 days rather than 88-day varieties. So even then, we're talking about people moving to the Pajarito Plateau who don't have experience gardening here in the high desert. And they're having to learn how to take maybe their garden that they had in Ohio or somewhere else and how to change that to make it work in New Mexico. So, out of you, how many of you were born here in Los Alamos? Oh, wow. Most of us are transplants. Most of us have moved here. 
And so we have a similar problem, right? So when people move here, and with the lab hiring so many new people today, we still have this problem with people moving here who don't really understand how to garden, what to plant that works well in our area. So the Garden Club started in 1947. And by 1951, they had 50 members. So it was a very large club. In fact, they, they became so large, they split into the Summit Garden Club and the um, Los Alamos Garden Club. And both of those are still in existence today in Los Alamos. So what's your earliest memory of gardening? Yes, Susan. You had a victory garden. <laughs> and where did you live? Jackson, Mississippi, Victory Gardens in Jackson, Mississippi. <laughs> Anyone else have a really early gardening memory? Who here gardens? I should ask that first. Everybody, see, everyone. So um, a lot of us who garden today have a memory of growing up with gardens. So for me, I remember my mother, I was a military brat, so we moved around, but my mother always loved to plant tomatoes. And so my earliest gardening memory is fresh tomato, hot off the vine, eating it. That's my very, and that's probably why I garden today, honestly, is the tomatoes. <laughs> Any others? Memories? Okay, gardening on Los Alamos today. So there's, of course, the demo garden. You have a food forest here and a garden. The Victory Garden at the Historical Society was put in in 2019. I don't think they planted it this year. but And then the pandemic came along, and we were trying to figure out, what are we going to do? We, have no one, we can't do anything inside, and um, how are we going to keep people engaged? What can we give people to do so they feel like they're part of a community? So the Historical Society worked with Peak and the library to develop some programs around gardening. And you maybe saw some of those. They did, they did some online speakers. Um, um, and we did this seed swap. We did it for a couple years in a row. Is really successful. So we had a good time working with Peak on that. So after all those people got together, to do the seed swap, we started talking to each other and we're like, wow, you know, this is, this is working. Maybe we need a more permanent solution. Maybe we need a place people can go and share seeds. Well, there were a lot of people interested, but they all had different ideas about what that should look like and why they gardened. So if you look around this room and think about why do you garden? Why do you garden? What is your personal reason for gardening? 
yell something out. Tomatoes, I know, right? Yay, tomatoes, that's my thing. It's like the only reason to garden. No, there's lots of reasons to garden, right? <laughs> it's magical. Just watching it, like, oh my goodness, it grew. <laughs> A bad scientist, yeah. Mindfulness, things you can't get in the grocery store. Right? All of you have these reasons, different reasons for gardening. Well, so did our committee. <laughs> our committee got together, and everyone had their own reasons that they wanted to start a seed library. And these are some of the reasons that, on the committee, that we had for starting a seed library. So people always laugh at save money, because if you're a gardener, well, maybe not. <laughs> Right, exactly. It is true that seeds are cheaper than seedlings, which I think is what this is referring to. But of course, if you, if you get into gardening, you know that you, you, you spend a lot of money for those fresh tomatoes. <laughs> um, but preserving genetic diversity, a lot of varieties that are in seed catalogs are different than what, grow, what grows locally. So having a hand in saving some of those locally grown seeds is important. And it's, it's really important now in New Mexico because of fires. Because seedlings, when they go to replant after fire forestation, um, a lot of times they will plant, they, they will you know, reseed with things that aren't native and local. And, I mean, it's not totally a bad thing because they are curtailing kind of the non-invasive species a lot of times, so they are careful about the seeds they use. But they're learning that that slows native plant recovery, and you, it's almost better to just use mulch and let the native seeds come in, or to use the slower-growing native seeds, even though they take a little longer, because it brings back what actually grows well in this area. And this is something they're learning as they start reseeding in different areas and watching how the environment reacts to that. So using locally adapted, genetically appropriate plant material for those reforestations is really important. Flavor, of course, those tomatoes. Um, connecting with your garden. I think what I should add to this list here is really the mental health aspect. Because every time I do this presentation, there's someone who says, but I just feel better <laughs> when I'm working in the garden. I feel better after I've been outside with my hands in the dirt working with plants. And I think there's a mental health aspect to that, that maybe we're not, I didn't put on this list, that's really important. And then, of course, help save the bees. We know that insect po pollinators are important. And of course, you've, I'm sure you've heard about the bee colony collapse and the importance of bees. So anything we can do in our local gardens, just like they did with Victory Gardens to grow food, we can also do the same thing to help pollinators, especially bees. And building community. And building community is my main reason for starting this community seed library. This is a 
little selfie of our first meeting. And I think you know some people in this, this picture. We all got together and decided, yeah, let's, let's start a community seed library. I have to say, it was not all smooth sailing. Anytime you get a group of opinionated people together, you're going to have different ideas of what that should look like. So we formed a few partnerships right away. We knew that if it was really going to work, we had to have some backing from an organization, right? Not just these few community people. So we approached Peak and Los Alamos County Library. And both of them agreed to be partners in the Community Seed Library. And they're, real, they're very important because they provide some of our, our supporting infrastructure. Especially the county library because they're, they are providing space to actually house the seeds and to check out the seeds. So this is where we got together for our mission, our kind of our guiding principles, the three main things that we as a group were going to focus on. It's easy to get sidetracked in all those things that we just went over, bees and, and mental health, and it's easy to get sidetracked. So we knew we needed to focus a little bit. So we came up with these three words, learning, saving, and sharing. So every time we decide to do a program, we say, does it meet one of these? Is it learning, saving, or sharing? If not, let's put it over here on the back burner, and maybe we'll do it later. But let's, for right now, focus on these main um, things. So seed library. A seed library is where you have a location where people can go check out seeds, grow them in their garden, and then a really important part, which is returning something back to the library. This, this is only going to work if we have that last part. So there's a learning curve here for people to understand that, great, you're going to check out all those seeds. What can you give back? to the seed library. And it doesn't have to be exactly the seed you grew, okay? So uh, we all know you can plant seeds that don't grow, right? Oh, it happens. So we're hoping that you can donate seeds, or even if you don't check out from the library, you can still donate seeds back to the library, knowing that you're helping another gardener. You're helping someone, maybe someone new to the community, with a local seed. Help them be successful so they don't get discouraged. Learning, we've been doing a lot with um, this part uh, recently. We've had some speakers. This church has held some events. Kok Young has been fantastic uh, running some programs on learning about gardening, learning about seeds. One of the things I've been doing, I've done some programs at 4-H. I went to Mountain School. I've done some Boy Scout programs that were really fun. One of the questions I always ask them is, what's the biggest seed? What's the largest seed in the world? Does anyone know? Well, I know some people know because I've shared this before. Does anyone? What's the largest seed? Coconut. 
Coconut. So when I talk to children, I bring out my coconut, my sprouting coconut, and I say, hmm, this isn't going in the seed library. Why? Well, first it's too big. And second of all, we want varieties that grow well here. If we collect seeds from our gardens and package them and put them in the seed library, they're coming from a plant that's adapted to this area that we know grows well here. Uh, coconut? Mm, not really. <laughs> this is, so it's, it's actually been a, a fun teaching tool. Saving. We have been very, very fortunate. I've been really overwhelmed with the amount of donations that the Seed Library has received. We have donation boxes set up at the Los Alamos Community Library in Los Alamos and White Rock, and you can donate seeds. You can donate seeds in packages, Maybe you last year bought seeds and then you didn't use them all or you, you know, didn't get quite around to planting them. Maybe your plants have changed for your garden. You decide you don't really want these anymore. Instead of throwing them away, you can donate them to the seed library and share. Give it, maybe someone else can give it a try. Right? We also had things like this donated. Here are some seed heads from my seed library, my, my garden. Uh, do you want the seeds? Well, this is great, and we do take these. And the seed stewards have been meeting every Friday to package up things like this. It's a lot of work to take this, separate the petals and the stem from the actual seeds, and package up those seeds. But they have been very committed and dedicated. They have been working so hard to get ready for this library opening this month. So we appreciate these kinds of donations. We appreciate it even more if you help package the seeds. So if you take, you can pick up some envelopes from us, or you can you know, get some of your own envelopes. Write on it what seed it was, when you planted it, where it came from and help package some and just donate those packaged seeds are even, it saves us a little time. They're even better in a way. And then there's our, our catalog. I was trying to explain to kids, this is an old card catalog. They're like, cards? What are you talking about? I'm like, well, okay, never mind. It's but those of us who are of a certain age know the old card catalog, and it's really fun to take an old card catalog, and this will be holding the seeds for us at the uh, Mesa Public Library. One of the card catalogs was donated by Sue Watts, so maybe you might know Sue. She had one of these and said, I have one you can have. They're pretty hard to come by. We'd really like to find another one to put down in White Rock, but let me tell you, they are hard to find a an old card catalog. This will hold the seeds. And basically, you will be able to go and look through the seeds, find some that you'd like to try, take them to check them out at the desk. They will write down what, how many packages you took and what kind 
of seeds they were. That's really to help us so that next year we'll know what's popular, what do people really want, what kinds of seeds are they interested in. They've been packaged in pretty, so she said, um, can we just take some seeds? Do we have to take a whole packet? They, the ones that we have packaged, we've packaged in fairly small quantities, so not quite as many as you would get in a regular seed packet. The ones that are sealed, we're not opening them, we're just letting people take the whole packet. And people are being limited to five at a time so you can check out five packages, and then you can come back later another day, and you can check out five more. I believe the limit we're looking for is about 30. Is that right, Cole County? 30 per year. So we're hoping that people will take what they need um, and then make sure they leave some for other people. My, my greatest concern is that it will be just flooded with people the first year. And but you can always share with a neighbor. Can always share with a neighbor, yeah. So our future plans, we hope, we hope you'll all become seed savers. We'll have the grand opening on March 25th at two o'clock in Mesa Public Library. You're welcome to join us for that program. It should be a lot of fun. There'll be seed snacks. There'll be a ribbon cutting, and we're going to give out 10 golden tickets. Those are the 10 people who will be the first to check out seeds from the seed library. We don't want 200 people or, you know, trying to check out seeds the first day. So we're going to start with the 10 lucky, 10 golden ticket winners will be allowed to check out the first day. But then after this, after the 25th, it will be open during regular business hour, library business hours for you to go and check out. Can you ask again? <laughs> Is there going to be a list of the seeds, or do you have to open up every drawer to see what's in there? For right now, you're going to have to look in the drawers. We do have things we're looking at for the future, possibly having a binder with a little more information about the kinds of seeds. This year, we have so many seeds, and we have from so many different sources that we're finding that a little difficult. So we've, been, we've just been very lucky. We've been really blessed with the number of donations. It's, it's very overwhelming. I think people want to share with other people. There is some satisfaction, I think, in knowing you are making a difference. Even if you may not grow this seed, you can give it and someone else can try to grow it. So um, we've, we have so many donations. In fact, we're starting to fill that today. Or is our day we're going to fill the cabinet? Um, so for one of your far future plans, I wouldn't expect that to be anytime soon. Um, would you foresee um, cuttings and clippings of plants as something that could be a part of this? We've talked about that. We've talked about seedlings. We've talked about, uh, what about trees? <laughs> of course, because, you know, fire and trees. And we have talked about that. That's a little different than seeds. So it could certainly grow to include that someday. 
Right now, it's just seeds. But you can come to the uh, community plant swap. Yep, there's Mother's Day weekend, and we do have uh, cuttings and plants to swap, and trees, too. The plant swap is Mother's Day weekend, right? Mother's Day's weekend on Saturday, right here outside. May 13, yeah. We're really, we want to grow the seed stewards part of the program. Those are the people who are helping to gather the seeds. So even if you do not check anything out of the library, you can still donate to the seeds part to become a seed steward. So you can gather seeds, maybe don't want to do it on your neighbor's property, but you can gather seeds and bring it and leave it at the library to be packaged. Or you can just do it at home by yourself while you're watching TV or something. You can package some seeds. And if, every, if everyone just donated a few seeds, we would, ha we would have plenty for everyone, I think. Marigolds, yeah, marigold. We have many, many marigold seeds. <laughs> and um, we've had Mountain School, or no, it's Chamisa School donated, oh my goodness, just lots of seeds that the kids gathered. And I, I think that's really valuable, even if we don't use all of those seeds. It was valuable for the kids to gather the seeds and donate them to the library, even if we don't use all those marigold seeds. That, that to me, starting kids early to understand the importance of sharing and community and helping each other far outweighs the use of all those seeds. So some of the seeds, like there were some flower seeds, wildflower seeds. We have done some of it. Kokyang has done some where people can take, bring their own containers and take home some if we have a lot of seeds like that. We have done a few programs. We, we decided not to accept cannabis seeds. We do check against some invasive species lists and exclude those. We really want to focus on what grows well here. So although we get donations of packets that, you know, th that's fine, we, we'll take those. But we really love seeds that have been grown here. So if you have a garden and you grow, whatever, uh, flowers, vegetables, whatever grew well for you, share the wealth and give us a few of those seeds to help someone else. So I have a bunch of questions. The yep. first one is, are you going to be teaching more workshops about how to collect seeds? <laughs> I'll let I'll let Kukana oh, answer that. The question is, do are we going to teach people how to grow seeds? How collect oh, how seeds. to collect seeds? Yes. Right. You need to wait. Yeah. about how to 
collect seeds that are likely to work? Yeah, we, we had a workshop earlier with Peak this year. Yes. And uh, we have people show, uh, the Peak has a wonderful garden. We have one of the docents show them uh, different seeds and at what stage they are best collected. So we have Great. programs like that. Well, um, each year we'll have to decide on what program to give. And you are welcome to join us and give us some ideas. Yeah, we did have that. that I mean, I have been unofficially collecting wildflower seeds in yeah. various places, and I have no idea if I'm picking them at, you know, at the right time. So that was a great event that we did with Peak because we talked about there are different kinds of seeds. So tomato seeds you have to treat in a certain way if you're going to save them versus sunflower seeds or um, so wet seeds, you know, pumpkin seeds, <laughs> dry seeds. Um, so the event at Peak this year covered all of that. We had tables that talked about different kinds of seeds and how to save them. I suspect, although we haven't planned that far ahead, but I suspect we'll do something similar again next year. It was pretty successful and it was Great to talk to people who say, tomatoes, I love tomatoes, but how do I save seeds from that? They're wet and, yeah. Well, and then, yeah, the related questions I had were, I don't know if there's a way to do it, but protecting against, like, people donating sterile seeds or bizarre hybrids, like in the squashes, they tend to be kind of promiscuous. And you don't know what the seeds are going to make. Yes. You know, you just, is it going to be... An adventure type <laughs> thing, or are you going to have some way of handling that? Well, um, we we right now we are not rejecting any seeds, and if we are not sure, we can do a viability test on the seeds before we package them. And I think uh, Barbara has done some, and in fact, yes. there was a bunch of seeds she packaged and said low germination rate, so it takes a lot of seed for you. So um, how do we do have, we answer some of the questions. For example, tomato seeds are always pure because they're self-pollinating. Self in order to cross-pollinate, you have to do something very special in the lab in order to get a different, a different variety of tomatoes. So for the squash, they cross-pollinate so Easily, well yeah. that you sometimes come up with squashes that... Um, Inedible, and in fact, there is a um, toxic variety. Sometimes you might even get poisoned. So in order to make sure that your seeds from that particular squash is um, true to itself, you will isolate the flower, the first female flower that is going to grow into a fruit, and you will take the male flower from the same plant and hand pollinate it. That will make sure you'll get the same, you know, you, you isolate it before it even opens, put a, um, a against a bag or something op over the seed. And usually the, f the male uh, flowers uh, come before the female flowers. So what I do is when the male flower blooms, I take a Q-tip and collect the pollen and put it in a test tube in my fridge. And when the female flower opens, I, I pollinate it with the same. That, that way you'll get... I think squash are one of the most difficult in terms of cross-pollination. 
Yeah. Um, they do cross-pollinate freely, you know. Yeah. Any other question for our speaker? I think that's about it. Oh, future plans. This is a picture of our uh, garden bed. They, the library has agreed to install three large planters right there by the front door. They're redoing the area there by the front door. Oh, it needs to be redone anyway. So they're going to be putting in three large planters. We're hoping to grow some plants in there to show people, you know, a little bit about what it might look like, what kinds of plants they are, and talk about how to collect seeds. So uh, this is in the works, in the works. So of course, these are ways you can help. I would say um, talk to your neighbors. If you have new neighbors especially moving in, you might mention that the seed library is there. It might be a good place for them to go to try and find some native seeds. You could join the Facebook page where we talk a little bit about some of the native seeds and we, have, we advertise some of the programs about how to save seeds, how to grow seeds. I think what next Saturday you're doing a program here about, aren't you? Um, next Saturday, uh, we, next we Saturday? are going to. It's, it's just this a small Saturday. group of people. Okay. We are doing um, planting the food forest because we're going to start um, uh, uh, cold tolerant crops like peas and stuff. Yeah, it's time forest. to start right now. Yeah. I'm itching to start, but yeah. Sometimes I start multiple times. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Um, Thank you. When you're prepping your soil, you have the soil that's in your yard, but then you go to the dump and you get some more soil. And then you want to make sure you have all the nutrients you need how do you know what to put in the dirt? Well, you can do tests. You can do soil tests on it. But, Kokyang, um, do you have any? Well, I think compost is the, the most. It Best. provides everything across the spectrum. So if you can make your own compost in your backyard. I, I do several times of composting. One of them is wormy com compost using red worm. And also do bokash, which is uh, using um, is a Japanese method. You use all your kitchen waste, and you put this little sprinkle of um, inoculant, and it will uh, compose with, um, you know, um, in a process that generates um, less carbon dioxide than the other kind of composting. You can, do, you can do soil testing. You can test the pH and whatnot of your soil, but I think if composting is really the best, I think. Just when you turn your garden at the end of the season, make sure you get all that good stuff back in there to decompose. That's helpful. Of course, then you end up with squash coming up everywhere. That's, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Sometimes the things you throw in the compost sprout, so then <laughs> it 
You're like, what's that? Wait, where'd that tomato come from? Oh, it's probably from my compost. Garlic chives. <laughs> those envelopes. Thanks. Where do we pick up the envelopes? Do you have any t here today? Or um, are they at the library? I might have some in my bag. Do I have some in my bag there, Courtney? And do you have an option for us to volunteer a sign-up list or contact list? Or do you want us to go through your website? The best thing is probably just let us, you can let us know. Kok Young is, is the one who is doing the seed stewards. She's, that's kind of her, she's, she's the main person there. So if you're interested in becoming a seed saver, I would talk to her. They were meeting every single Friday at the library. You could certainly pick up um, envelopes there then, but they are not meeting the next couple Fridays because we're really filling this cabinet and getting ready to open. So we're kind of on hold with those seed savers for the next couple weeks, but I think they'll start up again later. Yeah, the envelope is, is stored at the library right now, but some of us have some at home. You can also do an origami envelope, origami envelope and just put your, you know, those those in information on the on it. The other thing. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is you put down the, the what is the name of the seed, and like for example, you'll put down squash, and you have a specific name under squash. You can put uh, butternut, and then where it's come from, it could be uh, from you know local, locally grown or something. Um, when it, was it planted? When was it harvested? And by whom? And then you put down under notes any information you can give us, like it's, it's delicious, it's productive, or, you know, I don't like it, whatever it is. So, And you can package it like this, but just make sure in there you put a little piece of paper that has something about it. So and and I would have say an don't there, right? if you can't if you don't know everything just leave it Don't blank. worry about it, but the more you can tell us the better. So you can put it in a bag like this with your seeds with the information. That's really helpful. We we can take that envelope and you can take a picture of it on your cell phone. So the seed, the seed um, There's a collection box, box is that have been taken away because we had the seed drive from October till February, and then we stopped the seed drive for now. But if you hand it to any librarian at the front desk, they will know what to do with it. <laughs> yes, they're learning. They're learning. Oh, seeds, that's a whole new different thing. But, I mean, you can understand why we chose the library, right? Because... We want everyone to feel comfortable going in. We didn't want, we wanted people, it to be accessible. We want it to be open, you know, for a decent amount of hours a week. And the library was a logical choice for that. So the staff has been very accommodating. They're having to learn some new things about seeds. We're having to learn new things about seed storage and keeping seeds cool and dry. And we are in a learning process too. So we're all learning together, uh, but I'm really excited. It's actually going to open, and we'll see how it goes from here. We know that we're going to have to evolve, right? So we know that there are going to be things that don't work. We may have to change. 
There may be other things we want to try, like those seedlings. So we know that we're going to have to evolve. That's, that's part of the process. Anytime you start a new business or, or an organization, if you're not willing to do that, then you're not going to be relevant. So we know that that's an important thing. You know, right now we say five seeds, five packages, 30 is the limit for the year, but that may have to change depending on how many people check out seeds and how many donations we have. So we know that we are going to have to really keep some good data in order to make those changes. So be patient with us as we get up and running. And we are happy, happy if you have ideas or suggestions or say, Liz, this does not work. Don't do it like that. Let us know because we want it to be successful and we will make the changes that are necessary in order for that to happen. So I, we welcome your comments, your ideas, your suggestions. Sorry, I have one more question. Yeah. Um, I have some, I have a box of seeds that are, some of them are really old in their packets. What's your policy on accepting, you know, five-year-old packets of seeds? So we know that there, there are seeds that can sprout from, you know, that have been around for a thousand years, right? So it is possible, but best practices say that those seeds should be no less, you know, no more than four years old, but we know that there are varieties that can be much older and still be viable. So right now, we are accepting all seeds, mainly because we don't know how many we are going to need for this first year. After this, I think we'll be a little more selective, probably, and we were trying to hit that four-year mark, so we're looking to try and collect things that are four years or less. So um, we're running out of time. We have actually, some of us have to go to the library this afternoon at one o'clock and start filing the seeds so that you guys can check it out at the end of the month. Yay. So anyway, give Liz a hand. Thank you for talking to us. Join us. Save some seeds. <laughs>